0: Welcome to episode 8 of the MKIAudio Podcast, my name is James from mkiaudio.tk. Keep in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook by searching for MKIAudio, subscribe to the YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Audio, and you can also subscribe to the blog for email notifications every time we post a new podcast episode or blog post. I actually have a special offer on at the minute, so uh, if you subscribe to the blog any time throughout the month of August, I've always been giving away a free ebook, which is Getting Started in Your Home Studio, which basically explains a little bit about uh, the basic gear you would need and basic techniques and how to really set up your small home studio. I've actually upgraded that to my uh, full ebook. so anytime you subscribe throughout August, you will get a free copy of Getting Started in Recording, which takes you through the steps of planning a recording, setting up a recording session, and a few tips and tricks on how to record certain instruments. So uh, it's worth £5, um, but I'm giving it away for free throughout August, so if you haven't subscribed for email notifications on the blog definitely head over to mkiaudio.tk and stick your name in the box on the right hand side so you get that free ebook. Uh, the podcast is available on iTunes, um, I say it every week, you can head over there uh, whenever you're downloading the podcast. If you like what you hear here, send me a, a review on iTunes, trying to help a few more people um, discover the podcast. Um, you can also let me know anything, any topics you want covered on the podcast over the next few weeks. I'm happy to take your suggestions and I'll run with them. Um, always looking for new podcast ideas or to try and find out what people are wanting to learn about. Um, say so Maybe there's something I can teach you. So send in your questions or your ideas for podcasts. Um, you can get in touch with me on the blog or send them to mkiaudio at gmail.com that's everything out of the way. Like I said, we're going to talk about compression in the main segment this week. So let's jump into it. So, compression. Ah, compression. The bane of all home studio owners' lives. Whenever you start off, compression may seem like one of the most daunting things to get your head around. Now, it's the answer to most home studio owners' problems. If you're recording your own music... Um, you're really chuffed with the mix you've created and you take it out and listen to it, you stick it onto your iPod, listen away, you turn it up so you can hear it well, the next song comes on and it nearly deafens you. This is because you're not using compression. Well, compression and limiting, there's a number of things, but uh, it frustrates most uh, startup musicians or engineers if they don't know how to use it. So, a quick search on Google or on YouTube and you'll quickly discover that compression is the answer to it. So, the first thing we do, we open up our mix, go to the mix bus and cram on compression and compress the daylights out of it. Now, this may get it loud, but it loses the dynamics of the song. So, compression is a an untamed beast if it's not used right. If you take your time to learn what you're doing with it now it can be quite a a useful tool and it's probably between the EQ and compression it's probably one of the most used uh, plugins or inserts or effects used on mixes or mastering or any stage in the process. So what is compression? Well in layman's terms compression is basically used to make the quiet parts of a mix louder so if you take a track, um, let's say, well, we'll set a vocal for now, and the singer is singing through a verse, and there's some words or phrases she's singing very loud, and there's other parts that are a little bit quieter. So you end up with very high peaks, and the bits in between those peaks are very uh, low in volume. So whenever you come to mix, you turn that up until those peaks are as loud as you can possibly get them without clipping. However, the bits in between those peaks or transients are still very low, so compression basically squashes down the peaks and then you can turn up the overall volume and the difference between the peaks and the troughs are uh, is a lot smaller. So that's in layman's terms what compression is. Uh, I don't think you need to go into it too much more but at this point to uh, explain it. So really, if you want to, if you have a wide dynamic range within a track and it's uh, stopping you from getting it to the level you want. Basically, what you want to use is compression to squash down some of those peaks and uh, bring up the lower parts of the track. Now, by reducing the volume of those peaks, like I said, at the start, we go on and we heavily compress everything so those peaks are squashed right down and your audio wave basically turns into a square block so there's no dynamics through it whatsoever and this is a real music killer and the track may sound nice and loud however there's no natural dynamics in it and it loses some of the tonal properties of the track so when you first started using compression you would probably have opened up your DAW and added an insert uh, compressor opened it up, and sat there with a blank face looking at it, wondering what all the controls do. So I'll go through now and roughly explain what each knob or dial on the compressor does. So first of all, we'll talk about the meters on a compressor. Uh, Depending on what your compressor is, you will have an input gain and an output gain. Or Sorry, I'll rephrase that. It's an input uh, volume and an output volume. So this meter tells you what volume the... source is coming into the compressor and what volume it's going out of the compressor at. So this lets you know what your gain reduction is. Uh, the other dials then on the compressor we start off we would have generally a ratio. Now this basically decides uh, how much compression is taking place. So um, a ratio of 2 to 1 means for every uh, two decibels over a certain level, the signal goes, it will only play back one decibel. So that's basically cutting it in half. The next one would be a threshold. Now, this decides um, when your compressor kicks in. So if your track peaks at, say, minus six decibels, And you set your threshold to minus 15 decibels, that means between minus 15 and minus 6 is the area that's being compressed. So this means with a threshold of negative 15 dB, any part of the signal that goes above negative 15, the compressor will kick in and squash that down. Okay, the other controls on a compressor that can be quite confusing to some people are the attack and the release. Now. The attack; these are all work in conjunction with the threshold. So we'll start with the attack. The attack is really how quickly the compressor kicks in after that peak goes above the threshold. So our threshold's negative fifteen. So if we have an attack of fifteen milliseconds, as that peak passes negative fifteen dB, uh, fifteen milliseconds later, the compressor will start to squash that down, and. Um, Again, on the release, as that peak comes back down under negative 15 dB, the release time is how quickly the compressor stops working after it comes back down through the threshold. So we'll go through the path again. Our signal comes up past our threshold, which is negative 15 dB, and 15 milliseconds later, the compressor starts to squash that down, and the signal then comes down, Underneath the threshold again and our release time which is set to 120 milliseconds. So This means 120 milliseconds after it passes down through the threshold again the compressor shuts off and stops compressing the signal. So basically the idea behind it all is uh, anything that goes above a certain level the compressor starts working and squashes that down and you can use your attack and release settings to say how quickly it does this. It squashes that down to a lower level, therefore bringing the louder parts closer to the quieter parts. Some compressors will also have a feature called the knee. Now, this is a a setting that's measured in decibels, and this pretty much means as your signal passes up through the threshold, this is the number of dB before the compressor starts working fully. So, if you have a really low um, knee, uh, say negative or 0.1 db the minute that signal hits the threshold the compressor will kick in straight away however if you have a, a higher knee say six or seven db it will be more of a gradual curve the compressor will start to compress slowly and build its way up over that sort of six db range um to full compression so it means it's not it's a smoother sound the compressor produces rather than kicking in straight away, especially if you have a really quick attack time and a quick release time. It just it can give you a rather harsh sound. So this knee sort of gives you a blend going into the compressor. Now, the final setting on the compressor is the gain, or the makeup up gain this could be known as, or output gain, um, depending on what doll you're using or what plug-in. Now what this does, depending on your ratio and threshold and obviously your input signal, um, whenever your compressor works, you will get a certain amount of gain reduction. So this is the amount that the compressor is squashing down the peaks. So your makeup gain is designed to add that volume back into the track. So if you have um gain reduction of four to five dB, you would um make up that 4 to 5 dB loss with the make-up gain. So you would add 4 to 5 dB of make-up gain. So this means the signal coming into the compressor, um, then it's being compressed and sent back out again at the exact same level. However, the peaks have been squashed down and the lower parts have therefore been brought back up closer to them. So that is a a basic rundown of some of the basic controls on a compressor. Um, there are a few more I'm going to talk about later on in the podcast whenever we come to talk about different ways to use a compressor. So let's first go and look at a few different scenarios that you would use a compressor in. Um, obviously I'm not going to talk about using, uh, a compressor just as a basic insert. Um, I'm going to talk about a few more complicated ways to use it. Um, because I think if you can master or working with them as a basic insert can be quite simple to figure out. However, some of the more technical ways to get you some better results might be a bit harder to understand. So I'm going to start with them and talk through them. So the first method of compression we're going to look at is parallel compression. Now, this takes a little bit of routing to set up, but uh, once you do, it's a really good way of preserving the clean track, but also applying effects like compression to get a punchiness to it. Parallel processing is something that I think all beginner engineers should really concentrate on to learn because it it makes it a lot easier to mix. Um, now, you do have to learn how to write your tracks a little and also how to blend the tracks together, but I'm going to go through it a little bit now and explain the process. So for this example, we're going to take a uh, kick drum. So we have uh, our kick drum track with the file loaded into it. There's no inserts or plugins on it um, at the minute, so the first thing we have to do is to create a bus or an aux track and send a pre-fader copy of that kick drum track to that bus or aux track. So this is basically creating a full volume copy of the kick drum track. Now the reason we send it pre-fader is so. We can control the level of that bus or aux um, independently from the main kick drum track. So even if the main kick drum track is muted or uh, the fader is pulled down, we can still um, hear the kick drum coming through that bus or aux. So parallel processing basically means you have two tracks running side by side and your effects are applied to one of them and then blend it back in. So With a compressor, that second uh, duplicate track, you would uh, compress it and then blend that compressed track back in with your uh, original kick drum track. Now, you can add a compressor as an insert in the main track and compress the kick drum. However, if you're looking to get a really punchy kick drum, but you still want to maintain the tone of the drum... The compressor takes a lot of that away, so you'll have a punchy drum, but it'll be quite dead and it won't sound great. So the reason uh, we use parallel processing is that duplicate track can be compressed really heavily and uh, that really punchy kick drum sound can then be blended in along with the natural tone of the kick drum. So you're getting the attack of the drum and then the natural um tone of the kick drum coming through from the original track as well. So you can leave it at that there. What I generally would do after that is have both them um, the original track and the aux track, outputting into um a stereo bus. So I can once I get my blend right between the original track and the uh, the compressed track. I have one fader then that will control the volume of both of them without having to mess with that blend again. So uh parallel compression is a, a very popular one to use in a lot of things. You can use them on pretty much anything. Um but say drums tend to be quite a popular uh, use for it. Okay, the next use for compression is sidechain compression. Um sidechain Compression is one of those things I didn't play with for a long time. Uh, To be honest, the DAW I was using didn't have a sidechain function on it, but um, I had mentioned in the blog I've recently upgraded to PreSonus Studio One and the compressor in that has the sidechain function. So I've been messing about with it recently to try and uh, see how it can help my mixes. Um, Basically, I didn't explain about the sidechain controls on the bit at the start of the podcast now because they're a separate set of controls so what this basically means i had discussed the source material your compressor pretty much listens to that and decides when the peaks come above the threshold and the compressor kicks on so side chain compression means you set the compressor to listen to a different track so it's dependent on a different track and depending on what your doll, you're using this could be known as the key input or, um, just the side chain input. So, for example, it's commonly used with a uh, bass drum and uh, a bass guitar track. So you would set the a compressor on the bass guitar track, and it listens for the kick drum. So every time the kick drum hits, the compressor kicks in on the. Uh, bass guitar track and turns down the bass guitar track uh, momentarily while the kick drums playing. This can give you. It's used quite a lot in dance music or electric music. Um, it can give you quite a pulsing sound depending how hard you set the compression. Uh, in the likes of uh rock music or indie or pop, even. Generally, you wouldn't set it that high. You don't want it to really sound pulsy. You just want it to lower the volume uh, momentarily um, whenever the kick drum's coming through, and that allows the kick drum to be big and beefy without taking up power from the speakers. So to set up a side-chain compressor, you would set all your other settings as normal because they are still going to be working on the bass track. So you set your threshold, your ratio, your attack and release, and your knee... Um, set them all the way you want Um, now I would use um, quite a low ratio, you don't want it to compress too much you merely want it to turn down slightly or depending on what style of music you're doing but uh, for me I mostly mix um, rock or indie type music so I only want it to drop down momentarily by a few dB so set all them settings up as usual the only difference is with the likes of PreSonus you uh, click that as a sidechain compressor and then what you do is go to your kick drum track and create a send and in the wee drop down menu you will see um, bass guitar sidechain as an option to make a send to. So you pretty much send that kick drum signal into that compressor so it's reading that signal and then compressing the bass. With the likes of Pro Tools you would just set your kick drum track as your key input um, let's say I don't use Pro Tools now but um moving on to Studio One so I have a bit of experience with it so you go to the kick drum track uh, create a send and send that to the compressor um, or the sidechain compressor on the bass guitar track and that means every time that kick drum hits um, it will drop the bass guitar momentarily to move out of the way of the kick drum so this means you can still have in between each kick you can still have quite heavy bass but it's not drowning out the kick drum which is giving you the real rhythm of the track. So side chain compression isn't really mandatory to start off with and I wouldn't advise using it um, until you've really mastered the art of just normal compression or even parallel compression. Um, Tracks don't always need side chain compression and whenever you learn to do it you'll be trying to throw it onto everything but you need to be a little bit strict about it. Now Play about with it to see if you can use it, but I wouldn't advise adding it to your mixes until you're really comfortable with what a compressor is actually doing and understand what's going on with the signal flow uh, through a compressor and what all the functions are in it. Okay, the next uh, compression function I want to look at is mixed bus compression or two bus compression or master fader compression. Depending what DAW you're using, or depending who has taught you, or where you're looking, will depend on what you call your master feeder, but pretty much your mix bus compression is a compressor added to your stereo uh, mix bus at the end of your uh, mixing chain. Now, there are a few ways to set up a mix bus compressor, and you have to be very careful what way you set it. Um, You have to remember that this isn't the mastering stage, so you're not setting this uh, mix bus compressor on to slam everything down, and then you can add a limiter after to bring it all back up again. The reason I use a mix bus compressor is to help glue all the tracks together slightly, or to catch any bits that are maybe peaking momentarily, just to squash them down a little. So I would set the threshold quite high, so the, the compressor isn't always kicking in. Um, so really, it's only if it gets up to maybe negative... Uh, to your negative three dB, um, the compressor will kick in and just uh nudge everything down slightly. And What this does, it takes all your tracks together; they're all running through that mix bus, so it takes them all, squashes them all together, and it, uh just adds a little bit of glue to the mix and sort of rounds off the edges of the entire mix. Now, I I don't always use mix bus compression. It's it depends really. I only started adding it into the mixes. Uh, a few weeks ago um it was actually listening to and it was Joe Gilder actually on his podcast and uh, was talking about it so um I started experimenting with it and seeing what way it worked now, the way Joe advised was to set your mix bus compressor with your settings um from the very start of your mix so once you've all your tracks, load it in, set up your mix bus compressor and um then you mix through that now this made a lot of sense to me well, at first it didn't I was wondering why you would set a compressor whenever there's nothing actually running through it yet but then whenever I listened um to what Joe was explaining it might have been Joe and Graham they their simply recording podcast I'm not quite sure anyway uh the reason they said it from the start is because if you start off your mix and you bring up your drums and start to add compressing to them first, so you're compressing the kick drum, the snare drum, maybe even the drum bus, um, you go through the bass you compress, the guitars you compress, the vocal you compress, and then at the end of all that, you go to the mix bus and add a compressor onto that. Well, now that's been compressed twice, so you might have quite um, heavily compressed it at the start, but now you're adding another light compression onto it, and it just it can end up being a bit too much. However, if you have your compressor set from the start with a sort of minimal settings on it that's not going to be slamming everything down, it's only catching a few peaks and nudging them down and yeah. gluing it all together, you can still add compression to your drums, but you won't maybe add just as much compression because you're already mixing through the compressor on the mix bus. So anything that's coming out of your speakers is going through that mix bus, through the compressor and then out to your speakers. So the sound, any sound you hear is uh, running through that compressor, so you maybe wouldn't add just as much compression at the start. Now you have to remember when setting up the mix bus compressor that the settings are not being used to squash the peaks and then bring everything else up. It's merely being used to reduce the volume. So uh, set your makeup gain to zero and Like I say, keep the threshold quite high so it's not kicking in all the time. It's only knocking off the odd dB or two whenever the signal comes close to peaking. The fourth and final use for a compressor I want to talk about is actually a type of compression or a type of compressor and that is a multiband compressor. Now, a multiband compressor is basically a standard compressor that is tied to an EQ and usually it works in bands. So... um, You either get a 3-band or a 4-band multiband compressor. So those bands are pretty much uh, regions of frequencies. So you get low, low-mids, mids mids and highs, for example. You can usually alter these to decide um, what frequencies each band covers. Now, a multiband compressor isn't generally used in mixing. There may be some instances where it is beneficial, however. It would usually be used in the mastering process whenever you have a stereo file you can't really get in and tweak um, certain instruments within that uh, mix. You have a left and a right channel, and if there's an imbalance in the low end or the low mids, you can use this compressor to sort that problem out. So, the way a multi-band compressor works is, um, for each band on that compressor, you would have a set um, frequency range. So, for example, you may have from... 20 hertz up to 150 hertz, covering your low end. Um, you can set that compressor that it will um compress the the low end, um, a certain way, and then on your low mids, you can have it compressing a slightly different way, or maybe you can alter the makeup gain on them so that it brings up um the low mids a little bit more than what it would bring up the lows. So this changes the balance within it. So like I say, it's sort of like EQing with compression rather than EQing just with a general EQ plugin. So like I say it's generally used more in mastering rather than mixing, but there is uses for it in mixing. Um a lot of people don't use them because they don't like them and they scare them. Now I have used them in the past, um whenever I have been mastering things, but I'm not entirely sure if I have been using them right. They're a, a massive beast to get around. You, If you think general compression or a normal compressor is hard to understand, my advice is stay away from multiband compression. Um, it's one of those things, I think in time I'll sit down and uh, go through a few tutorials to try and maybe figure it out a little bit more. Now, I'm, I'm not scared to say it's hard to use now if you have a nike and you can use it by all means throw it on there and get on with it i personally don't and i think if i was to force myself to add it into a mastering session or a mix it would just do more harm than good so stay away from it for now and just concentrate on a normal compressor so if you can use it, go ahead and do it. If you can't, don't worry about it. You don't have to use it. There's plenty of people out here there who don't. There are even some pros who don't really worry about it too much. So uh, if you can use it, good luck. <laughs> if you can't, uh, don't feel bad. You're the same as me, I maybe used it. I maybe got some compression coming out of it, but it maybe wasn't using it right. So. At the end of the day, if it was doing more harm to the mix, I'd rather turn it off than force myself to have it in there. So that's a basic overview of what compression is and a few different ways you can use it. Um, maybe it didn't go into great depth, but it basically gives you an idea of what the different ways uh, compression is used within mixing and mastering. Now, compression can also be used in recording. Um, there are other ways of using it. Um, within a mix and different ways to use it on different instruments or different parts of a song. So it really is a never-ending learning curve whenever it comes to compression, but that will give you a basic idea of the different ways to use it. You can go out and have a look uh, at the different ways and see if you can do a little bit more research on them. Like I mentioned, I am intending on doing a few videos to cover these different ways, Um, so head over to the YouTube channel and subscribe there. And you'll be notified whenever I post them up. Uh, you can also subscribe to the blog to get the free ebook, remember and, and they'll also be posted up on there. So if you have any questions about compression, I'll happily answer them for you now. just send them into the blog or you can send them to me on Facebook or Twitter. If I get enough of the same questions, I'll do a video or another podcast article and answer those questions specifically. Um, However, if it's a more specific question to you, I will happily help you out. Um, So send any questions in you have, and I'll do my best to help you. So that's the main segment out of the way. Um, It was quite a long one, maybe a lot in there, so you might have to rewind and listen again. But now we're going to jump on to the My Advice section. Okay, as you all know by now, the My Advice section of the show is... The part where I like to share a tip to help you with your studio or your mixing or recording. um, Basically all aspects of the process. So I'll choose something different every week. Now, this week's uh, my advice tip is to do with uh, choosing gear. Now, I posted about this earlier on the week. It was my birthday last weekend and my family decided they wanted to get me something for my studio. um. I've been contemplating a new set of monitors or a new microphone recently and hadn't quite decided which one to go for, so they told me to make the decision and this is what they were going to get me for my birthday, so... The way I looked at it was this, any improvement to getting the signal into my DAW um, is going to be more beneficial to me than anything coming out of the door. so a microphone is a front end upgrade and a set of monitors is a, a back end upgrade, so I think the way I put it on the blog was a crap recording will still sound crap coming through nice speakers, So, at the end of the day, I chose to get a new microphone, which is actually being delivered on Monday, I think. So, there will be a review on the uh, website about it now, so you can head over there and check it out whenever I post it up. So, the tip I'm giving you now is, if you're choosing gear, and you have a limited budget, and you can only buy so many pieces of gear a year. Now, I, I only do this as a hobby at the minute. I'm not a pro... Uh, I don't have thousands of pounds to spend on gear, so every gear decision is crucial. Um, I can only really afford maybe two or three pieces of gear a year. So this one I decided I need to upgrade the front end before I start to worry about anything coming out of the DAW. So the microphone was my choice. At this point I upgraded the mic. So it's a Samson CL8. I have arriving on Monday, so hopefully... It'll improve my recordings a little. Uh, It's uh, just another thing for me to work with, really, and add something to the front end to help me get better recordings. So upgrade your front end first. Your input path is more important than your output path. So concentrate on that. Next time you're uh, flicking through the Sweetwater website or the Gear for Music website, wondering what to buy next, upgrade your front end before your back end. So that's all from this week's podcast. Remember to head over to mkiaudio.tk and subscribe on the wee box on the right hand side, and you'll receive a free version or a free copy. Sorry, it's the full version, a free copy of my book, uh, Getting Started in Recording. Uh, I say this offer is only available through uh, August, so if you miss it, you uh, you miss out. If you've already subscribed to the blog and you're a bit aggrieved by this, send me an email or leave me a comment on the blog and I'll happily send you a copy of the book. I don't want to leave anybody out with this one. Uh, Follow us on Twitter and on Facebook and on the YouTube channel and Google Plus is the only other one I'm on. Um, If you have any other ways you want to keep in touch, hit me a shout, I'll have a look at them and I'll set something up. Uh, leave your comments on the blog. Um, you can head to mkiaudiopodcast.tk to take you straight to the podcast page and you can leave your comments uh, below this uh, post on that page. But other than that, until the next time, keep recording, keep mixing and keep it simple.